Welcome to Game Brain with some extra sounds added in. It's a board game podcast about our gaming group. I am your host, Tom Donnelly. Maddie is rearranging his house to make room for the new Too Many Bones chest. This is round eight, turn three. And boy, oh boy, do we have a treat, ladies and gentlemen. I have the philosophical gamer in front of me. How you doing, Dimitri? I'm doing great. Good morning. Good morning. And he is joined by another fan favorite, Jake the Casual Gamer. How you doing, Jake? I'm doing great. Good to hear you guys. Good to hear you, sir. We are going to be talking about a game that we bring up a ton. A game that is in our <laughs> Game Brain Top 10, and yet Dimitri had to, to tell me that we have never reviewed it. I, I, I literally did not believe him. I don't usually believe Dimitri, but in this case, I really didn't believe him, and I went back and I searched through all of our episodes, of which, of which there are over 70 now, and I'm like, no, we did. We, we didn't officially review we it, did we not. essentially reviewed it. It's like the loved one, you never bring flowers Ladies and gentlemen, I thought we had reviewed it also. Uh, we are reviewing Teach You, the 1991, that is four years before Settlers of Catan, the 1991 classic. And I could not be more excited about And by the that. way, uh, it is one of the two games on our Game Brain Top 50 or Top 20 or whatever it is uh, that uh, have somebody voted number one, number two, and number three. Correct. What's the other? What's the other one? Avalon, and we never reviewed Avalon either, but we did a deep dive. This will be a review, and um, hint: it's going to be a positive one. <laughs> it is well, one of the. Sure you you ranked it as yeah, your number one game. Yes, Jake, uh, you were ranked it as your number two game of all time, and I ranked it as my yep. number three game of all time. So, and Tom, is that a here. game that you've played several times a week? Every week of this uh, COVID nineteen, just teach thing. you, just teach you, just teach you. That's it. So it's replayable. <laughs> it is replayable, uh, and listen, it costs ten dollars. Don't start yet. We'll get into that when we get into yeah, the yeah, review. And you've played it more than any other game. No, this is the part where we react, where we interact with each other as human beings. How are you, Dimitri? What's going on in your life? Are you okay? Is all is all oh, well? <laughs> How are the doggies? How are you dealing with social isolation? Well. Uh, my dogs are great. Good. And they love me very much. Um, well, yeah. <laughs> if anyone would, it would be, it'd be, it'd be weird if they didn't. Uh, it would be, and it would be very interesting. Sometimes I think my dogs love me too much. Oh. Do you have that issue? No, you don't have dogs. No, I'm, I'm, I'm used to human Not affection, cats. so it doesn't feel weird when a dog loves me. Uh, your, do your cats, Jake, love you too much, which is weird. Cats yeah. should be well, standoffish and aloof. Has, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I have one that is like my lap dog that sits in my lap whenever the, given the chance, and sometimes even when he's not, and the other one has nothing to do with me. I do have a guinea pig, and the guinea pig loves me tremendously. As much as a, as much as a prey animal can love a big hunking thing that could kill you at any second my guinea pig actually my wife will put uh, our guinea pig on her shoulder and if my shoulder is within five feet she will leap off her shoulder run across the top of the couch and leap onto my shoulder that's so. hysterical david gillison friend of the podcast has guinea pigs they are big they are not yeah, tiny they they're not big. hamsters they are substantial they, they look like a uh, like a muff you, you know that you can put your hands into to I, warm them up i wonder if he in has winter. i wonder if he has uh, regular guinea pigs or if he has cooies because there's a 
There is yeah the cooies you can eat those ones cooies they do eat in 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 um, Peru all the time they eat they eat cooies and uh, yeah th- those are those are Peru. particularly big ones those are the, uh, but um, yeah they're definitely bigger than they're definitely bigger than hamsters definitely bigger than gerbils and all that sort of stuff um, yeah uh, the what's the name that, of yours Tom uh, Hattie May oh she's nice. a, Hattie May <laughs> Hattie May is a princess she is a sweetie and uh, and uh, that's she, awesome yeah she you know she's you know what it's like with cats, right? There's a cat oh, yes. that doesn't real. There's a cat that realizes it's a cat, and you never see it. And then there's the cat that doesn't realize it's a cat, and they are loving and and they hang around you and all that mm-hmm. stuff, right? Yep, I've got one of each. Hattie May does not know she's a guinea pig, so she she spent some time hanging out with us. See, we we had a human conversation without mentioning the cheesecake factory, which we will not bring up again. <laughs> and and Tom, <laughs> how's that? <laughs> How's that thread going for you guys with the Cheesecake Factory? I mean, I think it's been—I think it's been likened to a hate crime. I think it's been likened to a lot of things. It's not going—not going so well for the pro Cheesecake Factory fans. Jesus, like me, like you, evidently. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. All right, uh, let's let's get into it so that we have we have time to do the things we want to do today. Let's find out what happened in last week's game night. Last week for me was simple. We played almost no games. I had a, a, a crunch at work uh, deadline for, for a project, so I got almost nothing in. I did play a little bit of Imperial Struggle, uh, but that was it for me. So super light week game-wise. I didn't even play the game that, as Dimitri pointed out, I play pretty much every single week. This is the one week we didn't play Tichu, so if I'm a little rusty in the review, forgive me. Uh, what about you, Dimitri? What did you play this week? Uh, I played Yokohama with Ben, and I played Pan Am with Jennifer, and friend of the podcast, and friend of Jennifer, Bruce. Ah, what did you think of Pan Am? We know, we know. We'll talk about Yokohama as well. We actually Ben talked about it last week. So, but what did you think of of Pan Am? Uh, I thought it was very pleasant. Um, I, I thought it was uh, missing maybe that extra component of engine building mm-hmm. and maybe a little bit of tightness that I know that you like sure. and uh, a lot of listeners like. Uh, but it's very diverting. It's 90 minutes. It works really well. Um, and uh, you never feel stuck. You always feel like there's a meaningful action that you can take. I mean... It's a Prospero Hall game, and I think I've figured out what Prospero Hall is, basically. What, what they're doing is they are trying to release a line of games that can replace games like Sorry and, and games like Parcheesi and the, the bad mass market games, the Parker Brothers era, the Hasbro era of really just a whole, like one or two gems, and then the rest of the games are just really not worth your time. They're trying to replace them, and what they're doing is is they're taking licensed properties or they're expanding out because Pan Am is their first non-licensed property, really, that they're doing. And what they're doing is they're taking one or two Euro mechanics, and they're putting it into the game, and they're executing it well. They're not looking to it's a create, smart idea. Yeah, they're not looking to create an amazing euro. What they're looking to do is they're looking to take something that works really well in games, boil it down to something simple for a mass market audience to grasp onto, and and serving it up to them. And I don't know. For me, I think that's a really good thing. I think it's a good thing for our hobby too, because we're we're basically if they succeed, 
they're taking to the mass market a vocabulary that will serve them well if they want to get into our Pan hobby. Am is a stepping stone to bus. Okay. It is a working worker placement game without planning, mm-hmm. and uh, you can go from Pan Am to bus, whereas to go from nothing to bus would probably be a, a big ask. <laughs> Going from Pan Am to bus, it's like, hey, let's try bus. Oh, why? Why does? Why did you punch me in the face for the last hour? It doesn't seem like that'll work. Well, um, that's the added mechanism. Uh, gotcha. that, uh, it, but there's, there is a lot of player interaction in Pan Am. It's just yeah. benevolent and indirect. Gotcha. Uh, you know, but you're there. Look, yeah. It's like somebody's every once in a while elbowing you uh, in the ribs. Gotcha. Okay. All right. That's cool. Jake, what about you? Do you play anything this week? You played some video games, didn't you? No. This, the, the, yeah, I, I putzed around with some video games, but I'd hardly say I was playing them. It's more like I stare at the screen and just not think about all the stuff that's bothering me. Um, but no, I didn't play any actual what we're considering games. This week just sort of flew by for me for whatever other reasons. Huh. So it's nice to be back chatting with you guys and talking about stuff actually I'm interested in. No kidding. Yeah. No, I, I think that... Uh... Yeah, I've I've had weeks exactly. I think I just had a week exactly like what you're describing, where it it, it's, it was just weird. It was just like life just sort of smacked me in the face, and nothing bad, and nothing that I'd complain about. But I looked up, and it was the weekend, and I'd pretty much done nothing fun. I'm sorry to hear that. No, Jake. That's, uh, that's, that's... Nah, no, it's not. It's fine. It's fine. It, it went by quick. Actually, it was one of those weeks that you just like I, I kind of have my head in the sand on a lot of the things that are bothering me. And this this week, I looked up a little bit, and I was just like, "Oh, the world!" And the next thing I knew, it was a weekend. I was like, "Yay!" <laughs> Jake, here's to your head being back in the sand where it belongs. <laughs> Thank you. So well, yeah. well, along with all of us, all the rest of us. Were Were you? Did, yeah. Did you find yourself doom scrolling this week? I just, you know, I made the mistake of clicking on buttons I shouldn't have clicked on and opening cyber doors I shouldn't have opened and seeing pictures of people's faces that I try to avoid (laughs) and uh, reading headlines and even following up on things that just make me want to just throw it all away and just say, let's just start over. Let's just scrap it and start over. I take the weekly New York Times news quiz and and, Uh uh, I'm addicted to it, but it's probably the worst thing to do on a Friday morning. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. No, I I find focusing on my family and just like every day's good little things like that's that's what's get me through and keeps me going. But when I start reading headlines and actually seeing what's going on, it's so depressing. It's so demoralizing. I'm just I'm too sensitive. It really messes me up. It's true. Uh, I don't think the uh, uh, the listeners at large know what a big QAnon fan you are, Jake. So Jake is very, very distraught <laughs> at you know the, the fact that uh, you know this this grand conspiracy seems to be getting away with it right now. That's what uh, that's what Jake is referring. The truth to. is out there. I, I will say, I will say that I did I did go down like a little bit of a QAnon rabbit hole. They, there was an article about the artist that does these huge drawings that are the this connected to this connected to this connected to this conspiracy map, and somebody posted something on it on Facebook and said this is this like the Illuminatus trilogy never could have come up with something this amazing. And the Illuminatus trilogy, Illuminatus trilogy, Robert Anton Wilson, one of my favorite things growing up. I, I absolutely love, love, love those books and, and their anarchism and their just freewheeling nature. And I went and I looked at the these these things, and it it just it looks like schizophrenia personified in art, and it was amazing. Tom, 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 uh, do, do our schizophrenic friends 
uh, have feelings uh, and they have minds. I know, uh, I'm, not, and- I'm not denigrating. <laughs> I'm not denigrating schizophrenia. I hope. I, I hope that if we have listeners that that suffer from it, I hope they're getting it treated. I hope they're getting uh, getting the help that they need. What what I what I do say is that. Uh, a schizophrenic mindset, one in which your 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 head is going several different directions at the same time and and losing its sort of uh, uh, compass. Uh, that's that's a dangerism aspect. Yeah. Well, I, mean, I have I think two it's clear friends. The inmates are running the asylum at this point. I There's have two no, friends who are schizophrenic and Nazi insanity. I go. have two friends who are schizophrenic, and they are much more sane than the QAnon crowd. There you go. There you go. I uh, don't know how we got on this, but we're going to move off of it, yeah. and we're going to move on to, to the real news of the week. The news. Good evening, Mr. Mr. Nelson, South American, all the ships and clippers at sea. Let's go to press uh, first up in game news, a little something from NPR. NPR gave a little uh, little love to our hobby. They did a profile on the fact that families stuck at home are turning to uh, board games. And in particular, one board game. It was a real love letter to one single board game and one single designer. Foot Chain Magnet. It was not. Sadly, your favorite, it not. Tom. It, uh, it's yeah. your favorite game of all time. Tiddlywinks it is. Settlers of Catan, or as they call it now, Catan. Which I found out uh, a nice thing, though. It, it may be one of the reasons they simplified it to Catan is they realized that settlers was a phrase that might uh, be Western, might, might be a little Western. freighted. Yes, of course, might be a little freighted. And if they did do that, then bravo! I think that's a, that, that's a, that's a good thing. But uh, anyway. I'm of two minds about this, uh, the exposure. Listen, I love when when the mass media uh, gets some exposure to our little hobby, um, and it certainly did in this case. Uh, however, no other game is ever mentioned in this entire article. This article is about Klaus Teuber and about Catan, and that is all it is about. It doesn't even... even really mention that there is a whole indie hobby uh, from which this sprang. Jake, what do you think of parents playing games with their kids? You had a whole episode about this a few months ago. I'm in favor of it, uh, you know, given the, the right conditions. Like, I was raised that way. My my dad played games with me from a very young age, and I think there was a lot of life lessons learned and a lot of fun had. And I, I try to do the same with my kid. I really like it, but I find it a little creepy. <clears throat> I grew up differently from how you did, and I played games with my friends, both board games and RPGs. Uh, and when my friends weren't around, I read books by myself, as opposed to having Harry Potter read to me. So I, it's a very alien experience to me uh, to have so much family closeness. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. To a person raised by wolves, to I, to to actually have parental <laughs> involvement in your life as a child must seem alien. Well, kids have to be bored. Um, yeah, we're we're finding out whether we're going to find out whether or not that's true. <laughs> yeah, we're going to find out. And and by Let's the way, not go there. That was one of the things that really upset me this week. Oh, is that right? Really? Oh my God! This notion of the whole school. Yeah, I did the Zoom call with the principal for my kid's school, along with all the other parents, and uh, he basically laid out what's in store coming up. And it's it gave me some pause. I will say that. Oh, you 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 can't just leave that hanging there. Tell us what's what's going on. Okay, so basically, it's going to be screen time all day long, distance learning, Zoom calls, and with like five minute breaks, they're going to do forty five minutes on, five minutes off. 
And it's, I don't know, I just, it's going to, it's going to completely exclude all socialization. It's just going to be, and a lot of it, by the way, is going to be pre-recorded things that the teacher will have done in the can from before. So you're not even going to be able to have the kid ask the teacher a question for like at least half of that time. Mm -hmm. And so now he's just going to be staring at a screen. I don't know. For me, I, I really try and interact a lot with Logan and we limit his screen time quite considerably and i think that's one of the reasons he's so into like books and outdoor games and stuff and so this when the when he laid it all out of like all right you're gonna sit your kid down in front of a screen all day and he's just gonna like i, I don't know it, it, it rubbed me wrong logan since first grade or or kindergarten? Uh, he'll be starting kindergarten he'll be starting kindergarten this year you yeah, know what stuff. you know what jake we may have an opportunity for you to talk to a kindergarten teacher today we'll see We'll see what happens, but uh, uh, this this is something. Let's put a pin in All this. Right. Let's All put right. a pin in this because this might be worthy of a little uh, a little discussion okay. with somebody that might be very simpatico with you. And we'll figure out. We'll figure out what we can do. Okay. All right. Um, moving uh, on. Moving on. Um, next up is something that's kind of exciting to me. Uh, do you guys know the name Don Eskridge? No. Don Eskridge is the. Mm, I don't think so. He designed a little something we like to call Avalon. My God, <laughs> why have I never heard of him? Well, we don't. We, we don't. Uh, he didn't no. design so many of our favorite games, but boy, oh boy, did he knock it out of the park with this one! Did he design Resistance? Yes, he did. Oh, okay, that's why. Yes, he did. He has right, come so he's out a with. Genius. There is. He is a genius. There is a Kickstarter uh, right now. It's got 12 days to go as of this recording. By the time this podcast comes out, there'll be about 10 days left to go. And it is uh, Quest and Avalon Deluxe. Quest is a new social deduction game that has no voting. So evidently, it's going to be more fast-paced than uh, than Avalon is. Um, I feel like even though Maddie isn't here and Alfred isn't here... I should say exactly what they would say in this moment. So they would say, oh, so Quest is going to be under four hours? Okay, good. Our Avalon <laughs> games are about half an hour. Uh, they are definitely not. They're so short we often play two I'm in so a row. I'm so curious. How are you going to do it? Jake, Jake how, how, how long do you think are... How are you going to do it without the... I, I, I'm not exactly sure. But how long do you think that our Avalon games go, Jake? I mean, I've played quite a few, and they last anywhere from half an hour to 45 minutes, I would say. There you go. That's exactly right. We have had multiple Avalon games that have gone over an hour. Only when Matt and Alfred are here, <laughs> because we love torturing them so much. I don't know why they hate it so much. I love that game. I, it's one of, it's honestly, it's of all the games we play, it's the one I wish I were better at. Uh, Jake, no. Let me tell you why you shouldn't be better at Avalon, and let me tell you why Matt and Alfred hate it. They hate to lie. They literally well, so do hate I, to But, but Avalon is. Matt, Matt does not hate to lie. Alfred does. Matt does not hate to lie. Yes, he does. He does not. Yes, he does. Nonsense. Let's call him right now and find out. <laughs> Matt, what are you doing right now? I'm thinking about how much I hate to lie. You, and also building my cabinet. Dimitri, do you realize virtually every time you talk to Matt, he's lying to you? No, maybe he's so good at it. But then why doesn't he like Avalon? Matt, would you like to go out and get a, get a little burger? No, I'm busy, Dimitri. Lie. 
Yeah, it's been six months, oh, Tom, man. since I've been able to ask anybody <laughs> that. <laughs> Let me just clarify, though. When I said that, all I mean is I don't like to lie either, and I don't want to be better at it, but I would like to be better at the deduction of what everyone else is doing because I'm often lost, and I can just see the glimmer of how you guys' minds are working, and I'm like, oh, my God, I just wish I could grasp it. It, 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 it Yeah, it, and it's one of those games that I think is it, it is true, is that we – listen – We've had other people come and play Avalon with us, and they say, I've played Avalon over 50 times. You guys are special snowflakes. <laughs> you guys play this game <laughs> hundreds a, of times. We've played it hundreds of times. We better play we it. We probably played 400 games of it now. And they, they to, a, to a person, they say, I have never seen it played this way. Holy cow. And... I don't think any of them have said we're playing it wrong. I think if anything, they're like, I see what this game can be when you bring it to its absurd conclusion. <laughs> yeah. but, but this box set includes this quest uh, game and also includes Avalon. Yes. It's like a two for one um, and everyone should definitely buy it. It, it does look cool. Uh, it looks great, by the way. Yeah, which always matters to me. I know that's silly to some of you, but like, I'm, the, the artwork for this is really, really cool. I agree. I think it's gorgeous. I do. I think it's. I think it's really gorgeous. It's stylistic this time, as opposed to more photo mm-hmm. photorealistic, which I would say would describe the last one. Um, and the the Avalon portion has new characters, new plot, new plot cards, new things. Now the plot cards gives me a little bit of pause because that sounds like the resistance. Resistance, yes, which is not as good a game. Correct, not as good a game. But once again, it's Avalon. You include what you want to include. You don't include what you don't want to include. I love having new components that we can try and see whether or not they fit in to make a better game. And if you want to know how to play the ideal Avalon game, you listen to our episode from turn one or you go to our Facebook page. <laughs> we, we, we have some very strong opinions about Avalon. Let's just say that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So funny. So funny. Um, all right. Well, next up is uh, interesting. Arkwright, the card game. Arkwright is one of those games for us. It was a, a, a game that we were fascinated with. We could not play it enough. And then after a few plays, we kind of stopped playing it. Um, I think different people may have different opinions as to why, but I think that the game is, is so close to being amazing and just had one or two little little things that kind of turned us off on it. There, was, um, it, there are these uh, pieces, these chits, these uh, things that you buy or select, rather, and it seemed that two to three of them in a four-player game were outsized in their importance, that they were better than everything else by a very significant margin. So it's a question of balance. Yeah, yeah. We thought that there was a little something broken with it. And, we, and, and the truth is, is that we probably should have played it again and maybe tried taking those pieces out and see, see, saw what the game was. But it's one of those games that we have really, really dug and we're really really into and wished it was just a little bit better well guess what arkwright has a card game that is coming out right now it is on tabletopia right now it is playable and on monday august 10th it is going to be debuting on kickstarter so if heavy meaty uh, euro economic games are your forte and boy oh boy they are mine uh you would do yourself a favor to check out arkwright the card game. 
It's, it's an interesting. It's an interesting project. I, I hope it's an interesting. Theme. I don't remember ever playing this one. I don't think I. I was at the table for this. I don't think you. I don't think you were, Jake. It, it's a longer. Game. Yeah. It's a longer game. It's a heavier game. Um, it's about the value first industrialization. Uh, yes. it, 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 yeah. It's about what happened in the 18th century, the age of reason, when people were converting to factories from artisanal shops. Now we're converting back. <laughs> At least as far as cheeses are concerned, you know. So, there you you go. mean against the age of reason, where we've gone away from that. Yeah, we've also gotten away. You, you know, the Jake artisanal non cheese that, that I've been having for breakfast every Friday morning. Yes. Uh, I think the theme this, this week in terms of the news is uh, reprints and redos of great games because we did, uh, we, we did Avalon. We just did Arkwright, and now Santorini, New York. Santorini, if you've never played it, is a fantastic two-player chess-like game set in ancient Greece. Um, chess-like can be an, a negative word in, in uh, this hobby uh, because oftentimes it means not fresh, not new enough. But Santorini is, a, is the exception. Uh, it, it technically plays either 1v1 or 2v2. Uh, but the the reality is is that you you want to play this one person versus one person most of the time. That's the way it works best. Uh, the idea is uh, on your turn you're going to be able to move your your piece around. You're going to be able to build stages of columns or buildings or whatever. And the idea is to get to your person to the highest place on uh, uh, to get your person to the top of a three story structure. Um, and that's it. That's all you. The minis look pretty cool. It, like the the little pieces look pretty sweet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the original Santorini is is quite interesting, and each player has their sixteen twenty four special abilities. Right, you're. Yeah, I'm playing Apollo. Oh, I'm playing uh, Hermes. Right, I'm playing Aphrodite, and each of them have a special ability. Right, they have a rule that breaks the rules. Yeah, it looks, it looks cool. Yeah, it's and very this is very good. And by the way, Santorini, Jake, New York. So you're playing with Trump. <laughs> well, that's that's sort of my question. That's my question about it. It's like the theme worked so well in the original Santorini, and now um, we are building skyscrapers. Now, the building skyscrapers part makes perfect sense, right? You want to get to the top of a three-story building and build it up to that point. Um, but the special characters that you are, uh, here are some of them. There's the subway operator, the foreman, the taxi driver, street vendor, iron worker, Fashion designer. I'm like, okay. And the real estate designer. The real estate designer yes. who's the son of another, <laughs> sorry, developer, who's the son of another real estate developer. Look. Right? If you've never played Santorini. Do they have a slum? If you've never played Santorini, <laughs> yeah, exactly. it, is, it is a truly exceptional game. I, I, I love it. It plays very well with kids, Jake. So you should, you should uh, have that in mind for Logan. You know, if he's a kindergartner, maybe, maybe, in, maybe in a year or two he'd be, he'd be ready for it. He might even be ready for it now. It's a fairly simple rule set and easy to understand. The strategy is quite deep, actually, and may take him a while to get. But, but uh, it's, one, yeah. it's one of those games that uh, it's a it's a great game. My my brother's uh, daughter. That's a good recommendation. One of my brother's yeah. daughter absolutely loves it. Absolutely loves it. And uh, listen, if if ancient Greek isn't your thing, and New York might be more appealing, then give it a try. I think it looks certainly it looks gorgeous. The the new production it does looks as beautiful, if not more beautiful, than the original, which itself was a fairly stunning looking game. So. 
I, I've been to the actual Santorini, and the Black Sand Beach is top three for me, like of, of that I've ever been to. It's it's an amazing place. If anybody ever gets a chance to actually go when the world opens up again, now I've I've been on a Black Sand Beach, not in Santorini though. I I couldn't hang. It was just so hot. It was like it was <laughs> burning through my feet. When my family, yeah. we went when we were emigrating from the Soviet Union to the United States, we spent uh, two months in Italy, uh, in a little town called Ladispol that had the Black Sand Beach. But this was March through June, and uh, that turns into three months, mostly April and May. And when it's cool, mm-hmm. uh, it heats the water. And it heats your feet, and it's absolutely magical. Ooh. Don't go in the middle of the summer. Right. Go in the early spring, uh, mid-spring, and it's amazing. All right, so white sand for summer <laughs> and, yes. and black sand for the shoulder season. Got yes. It. Okay, yes. good to know. Oh, I've never – what is the shoulder season? Uh, the shoulder season, it's a uh, travel term, and it means the season just beyond and just before – the big, the big season. Oh, the shoulder of the curve, yes. rather than like I thought, exposed shoulder or no. covered shoulder. Oh, okay, got it. <laughs> it literally means the 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 head is, in this example is the is the high demand season when everyone is yes. there and it's totally crowded. Bury your toes in black sand in the shoulder season. <laughs> And let's Amazing. do one, let's do one more for today. Um, Apollo, a game inspired by the NASA Moon missions, coming out in 2020. Jonathan Gilmore, Sarah Addison are the designers. It is interesting. It is an interesting game. Look, um, if if you've heard me on the podcast, you probably heard that High Frontier is one of my favorite games of all time. I'm a huge actual space nerd. Um, serious, serious dork for. Uh, exploration of uh, our solar system. So this game seems right up our alley. Uh, It is put out by Pandasaurus Games, which has been turning out some very interesting titles lately. And the way this one is going to work is it is two to five players. One player is going to be playing Mission Control, and they play behind a screen. And then the other... It looks so cool. And then the The other players... The screen is so cool. Isn't it neat? Isn't it neat? It's like, it's, um, I want it. Like, I don't even know what the game is. I just want to sit in front of that little it, thing. It's so awesome. Tell our listeners what, what it kind of looks like. What, what, what is, okay. So, I mean, first of all, it's like, it's, it's, it looks like, like retro, um, technology with, uh, uh, control panels and little black screens. And it's even got like a manual with like a book binding and a little coffee cup. It's, it, it looks, it looks really good. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's really, really neat. And evidently, the the trick to this game is it is a limited communication game. And those are very interesting. Those are uh, um, the, more in the party game sense. You get a lot of that, right? Taboo and all that sort of stuff. Okay, you need to communicate with your partner, but you, can, you can't use these seven words. Or you need to communicate with your partner, but you can't do blank or blank and that sort of thing. Well, this, is, this works that way in the sense that I, as Mission Control see what's happening as they're going on their mission, as the other astronauts are all going on the the same mission and working together to get there, I noticed that, oh, no, their life support is in danger. Oh, their life support is nearly failing. Oh, wait, their thrusters have an issue. I can't You're like the DM. I can't tell them that. But I have, well, sort of like you're the DM. Yes, you are a little bit like the DM. But you have these communication tokens, and you have to choose when to spend them. And when to is that what those little Tetris pieces are? Those little no, the Tetris, white shits. The Tetris pieces are evidently 
Um, so you have two discs or two or three discs that are communications discs, and you can spend them. And if you spend one, you can give a little bit of information. Like you can say your mm-hmm. your commu- your uh, life support system is near critical, and they'll be like, "Oh wow, we got to take care of that, right?" Um, if I spent two discs, I could say right. this part of the of the life support system is failing and fix it now. And right, you know, you could be much more specific about what exactly what's going on. Then the players will take those Tetris pieces and they will have to kind of solve a puzzle to fix what is broken. I don't know if it, if there's a timed element. I don't know Got all it. the details of the game. You know what this sounds like to me, and Trey, if you're listening, yep. sounds like High Frontier meets Captain Sonar. A little bit. <laughs> uh, this is a game that is very specifically for a certain type of player, uh, a type of player who loves to order people around, uh, and uh, another type of player who loves to take orders uh, under high pressure. The dominator but, yeah, and the submissive. Exactly. But, but a very competent submissive who says, yes, sir, and starts running around and whose hands well, never shake. Sounds like my kind of game. <laughs> What are you guys talking about? I'm we're talking. You so. can't handle the truth, can you, Tom? <laughs> Evidently, no. I I think in these games it only works if everyone's a switch. Okay, moving on. <laughs> uh, I, I've never heard that term, Tom. What is a switch? Uh, a switch is a lever that goes up or down to indicate on or off. Ladies so and gentlemen, if that you're a switch is... during shoulder season, hey. bury your <laughs> bury your toes in the black sands. Of Santorini. Look, we got a couple more uh, news items, but we will save them for next week. We ended up with a lot of news items this week. Instead, Dimitri, Jake, I got a special treat for you. Let's do Games on the Brain. Wow. Wow. That, was amazing. that is awesome. I kept it from you. Alfred, I didn't want to, t- I didn't Alfred, want to let you know. Wow. Applause to everyone involved. Yes, Alfred ladies and gentlemen. It's a miracle worker. That's the hotness right there. Yes. Sadalus has come through with a remix. Oh, my God. Alfred awesome. should remix everything. I got it two days ago. What What do you think the over-under is of the number of times I've already listened to it? I would say like 30. Like 100. <laughs> yeah. It's somewhere, it, it's, I, think, I think I probably listened to it 50 times in the last couple of days. I'm just like, how does he do that? How does he take that and make this He's, amazing thing out of it? It's like so good. <laughs> that's amazing. Good job. Absolutely love it. Absolutely love it. Uh, Dimitri, uh, what's Daedalus, that? who's teaching at the Berkeley School of Music, who Daedalus. is the head. Daedalus. Daedalus. What did I say? Daedalus? You said Daedalus. Uh, because he's the daddy of... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he's the daddy of electronic music for me. Daedalus is teaching at the Berkeley School of Music. He's the head of their electronic music department. And I think we all just heard why. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Dimitri, what is on your brain? Great Western Trail. Ah. Uh, and Great Western Trail is on my brain because it is our number one game. Uh, on our top 50 of Brain Game, and none of us ranked it of, at the top. Of, of Brain Game? Game Brain. And <laughs> it, it's early, and it's COVID. So, so <laughs> Yeah, it, 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 we, it got the most votes. It got the highest number of, of both individual votes and the highest total. By far. By far. By far. And but, yet no one had it even in their top three, I don't that's think. That's right, or maybe even in the top 
10. Most of us did not have it in our top 10. I have a theory because I've been thinking about it, and I have a theory why we like that game. Why do you think, Dimitri? It's not a worker placement game. It is a game where your cowboy goes around on a trail, Mm -hmm. uh, and there are various uh, technology tracks various achievement tracks uh, on the train and also on your player board, but there's not a worker placement mechanism. And in general, I think the worker placement mechanism is way overused in heavy euros. It is very abstract. It's not a lot of fun. Uh, It's not tangible. It doesn't relate to theme. And this is evidence that even we who are heavy Euro players or medium Euro players uh, are tired of it. Interesting. So you think that the 10 of us all secretly hate worker placement games? We're tired of worker placement games. Uh, we, <laughs> I don't think we are basically at all. <laughs> almost, ev- almost every game we play is a worker placement game. I think one of the reasons and maybe the best explanation for why Great Western Trail is ranked so highly, even though none of us really loves it, uh, is because of not what it has, but what it's missing. Dimitri, come on. Come on. We all love it. We love it. If we didn't love it, do you know how many games I love? Paul doesn't di- love it. That didn't make it into my top 20? Paul doesn't love it. Yeah, but but Paul Paul has a a broken spot where the heart goes. You have to understand that. <laughs> Love you, Paul. I don't understand that. <laughs> I, I I you know I wish I could see so clearly into Paul's heart. Uh, well, you're not, like you're not, you do. You're not family, so that, it's different. I'm story. not family. That's true. <laughs> um, I don't understand. I don't understand even what you're saying. I mean, our number two game, Lorenzo, worker placement. Yes. Our number four game, Barrage, worker placement. Yes, and Great Western Trail is 20 whole points ahead of its nearest competitor. It is an outlier. It's not just number one. It is number one with a bullet. It is it, it is high. Which for a Great Western Trail, ha ha, pow, pow, pew, pew. That's a good pun. Jake didn't put it in his top 20. Jake was like, no, I no. think no. It just goes to show you. Nope. Go ahead, Jake. Why didn't you put it in your top 20? Did you want more worker placement and it just didn't scratch <laughs> the just, worker placement itch? No, it was just, I just didn't, I didn't like it. There you go. I don't like that one. There you go. That's all right. That's it. Jake is one quarter Cherokee. You should know that. <laughs> I am, I, my Bone deep, mark. deep apologies. Um. Uh, Jake, what is on your brain right now? What's going on? What's going on in there? On my brain, Let the game in. of life. The, the game of Not life? Not like the actual game of life, no. but just like my life and the, the, just the world around me. I got sucked into real life this week where, as normally I have games on my brain, I really didn't. I, I was really distracted by stuff in the real world, and I haven't been engaging that part of my brain this whole week. So, again, it's just so nice to be talking to you guys about the stuff that Jake, actually matters. Jake, call me. Call me. We can talk. We can FaceTime. Yeah. Yeah, we could. I I know. I'm not the most comforting person. I don't have a lot of time in the middle of the day for like a chat, if you know what I mean. But sure, I'll call you. I always love to talk to you. I believe that's a no, Dimitri. I think that's what that is. Uh, Matty says it all the time. (laughs) Um, And on my brain. um, 
So, uh, actually, what's on my brain to some degree is the cost. I, I could talk about the, the, the book thing. I'm going to take, take a week off on the book thing because I really do have a game that is very much on my brain. The cost has still captured my mind. I feel like it is, it, it, it's kind of astonishing. For, for first-time designers, it is, it is an amazing economic engine game. It really is... Kind of, it kind of blew me away in terms of what it is. I, I, it's like if it didn't have the title of the cost, if I wasn't looking for a big gut punch with asbestos, I think it would have been received by me in a very different way. I think I'd be like, oh, oh my god, this is incredible. I think, I think that the designers, by aiming really, really high and aiming for something that was a statement game a little bit. And when you, when you make a game that is about death in the asbestos industry, you're, you're kind of saying this is a statement game. Um, that was the problem. But the game itself, I, mean, I got to tell you, it's really kind of amazing. And, and, and maybe there is a problem with turn order. Maybe there isn't. We haven't played it enough yet to, play, to, to, to know. I, I, just, I, I want to play that game so more so much more uh right now that it really has sort of captivated my 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 brain in a big way it is another game that minimizes worker placement <laughs> oh man action selection the mask on the uh the mask on the cover is quite apropos i mean yeah, yeah. as far as what's going on in the world well you know for for you know when hosting this podcast I got to play new games all the time, right? I'm constantly trying new things and trying to get in enough plays that I feel like I can do a decent job of a review, right? And what happens is, is sometimes after the review, it's the next week or two when I really get a, a, a dialed-in sense of how or the longevity of a game, right? And the longevity of a game to me right. ends up not being the impression of the first four plays or the first five plays. The longevity of the game ends up being how many weeks later am I still thinking about it in the shower? How many weeks later did I just come up with an idea of, oh, you know what? Next time I play, I'm going to try this instead because I think that's an interesting thing to, to explore. And I got to tell you, it's happening with the, the, the cost again and again and again for me, which really speaks well toward its potential longevity. So the, mm -hmm. co the cost is very much on my mind. And, and you know, Imperial Struggle is, is in second place. And to move Imperial Struggle, which I think is incredible, into second place really says something about the cost, which is pretty amazing. Um, and I'll, I'll throw out just a tiny little bit of, uh, of the book. The, uh, the news in the book is that I am uh, working with a cover designer right now and coming up with a cover. Dimitri is the only person that has... Uh, well, actually, two people have seen it, but there's only two people that have seen a mock-up of what the cover might look like. And uh, Dimitri, what, what did you think? So, so, so far, but getting there? Uh, the concept is fantastic. It's about the execution. I really think it's about gradients of tone and color i agree i agree and i, and I think on the, in the mock-up that's the part that is naturally not going to quite be there yet right that's absolutely that, that's... absolutely <laughs> you're exactly where you should be in my opinion oh. at this point of the design love it 
Love it. So yeah, it's we'll be very exciting. Yeah, we'll be having a little cover reveal sometime soon, and you know, maybe maybe in a in a few weeks we'll see. I it, once again, my first time through the process. I don't know how long it's going to take, so we'll just uh, sort of find that out when we get to it. Uh, but uh, it, it's exciting. It's a, it's a very exciting process. I'm happy to happy to be going through it. Uh, and I think that's it for our games on the brain. Um, let's do an update on our eight by eight challenge. There is nothing to update on zero by eight challenge. Nobody has played anything. Tom, I can't even name a single game on our eight by eight challenge. Can you? <laughs> I could you probably name all of them. <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. Okay, let's see. We have uh, Avalon, which is done. We have um, uh, Gaia Project. We have, which is done. Which is done. We have Concordia. We have Age of Steam. Which is done. We have Splatter. Which is done. Is Splatter done? Yeah. Okay, that's All good. those food chain magnet plays and oh, all those Age of yes, Steam yes, planes yes, 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 online. Yes, yes. In fact, we finished our 8x8 challenge. We did not. Yes, we did. Did we really finish I our 8x8 challenge? I bet you that we just finished our 8x8 challenge, and we should either have a new one or scrap it. I'm, I'm looking it up oh, right now. I don't, I don't believe what you're saying. I don't believe it. Tom, if you kept track of <laughs> all believe, the games... I didn't believe last time. If you kept track of all the games that everyone has been playing online, and you were not participating in because you have children or something then you would know that we finished the a by a challenge we have not great western trail lorenzo done. and pax done. games are not done oh my god we played great western trail a dozen times uh we played lorenzo dozens of times pax I think PAX games are done as well because we were playing <laughs> that new PAX game. You're just making it up now. You're just making it up. How many times has uh, Matt played PAX Humanity? Twice. Three times. Several times. He reviewed it. He said, <laughs> he said in his review of PAX Humanity that he's played it half a dozen times. Hey, right, well, that's six times. Yeah. The yeah. eight by eight Remind challenge. No, the eight by eight challenge doesn't the, count uh, if one person's playing it solo. Yes, it does. Finishing the challenge. <laughs> Jake, the, the, the there is no reward for for finishing the eight by eight challenge except to finish the eight by eight challenge. The idea being that you know we're reviewing a new game every week, and so the eight by eight challenge, the eight by eight challenge, was meant to broaden our plays to uh, to sort of urge us toward playing uh, one game or several games multiple times instead of just playing everything two or three times and then moving on to the next thing. Which... Let's congratulate ourselves no! on doing it. No, <laughs> congratulate ourselves. You, you can't just, just you know, declare that we've done the 8x8 eight eight challenge I think Alfred, haven't. I think I'm right, and Alfred should do Ooh, a little man. theme song about <laughs> in that congratulations, like a Michael Torkey, perhaps uh, Olympic theme. All right, all right. I like your strategy there, D. I think that's funny. It's like when Trump <laughs> says, like, nah, we beat it. It's, it's true, so, it's though. Funny. It's true. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, it is time for the review. And boy, oh boy, do we have a review in front of us. We are reviewing the 1991 game. Let me just, let me just go over that again. Four years before Settlers of Catan even came out, before Klaus Teuber even thought up Settlers of Catan, teach you was a game. It is designed by Urs Hostetler. 
If you don't know the name Urs Hostetler, you are in a lot of company. Most people don't know. Most people don't know that name. He is famous for Tichu. Uh, he did a game called Anno Domini, which is interesting, but never really done in English, so we, we wouldn't know that. And he's done another one of my absolute favorite games, Kremlin. He was the designer of Kremlin. Why are you looking at me like that when you say that, Tom? I'm looking at you because <laughs> you are a... A, a, uh, yeah, you fled the Soviet <laughs> Union during the days when uh, when Kremlin was happening. Yes, I actually remember most of the characters in that game. Jesus. There you go. <laughs> uh, Teach you. 1990, uh, 1991, Urs Hostetler is the designer. The artists were Kerry Aitken, Rez Brandenberger, Francois Bruel, Philippe Guerin, and three other people. And it's put out by a number of people. Rio Grande Games puts out an edition of it. 999 uh, Games, Abacus Spiel puts out uh, uh, versions of it. All of these people put out versions of it. And let's just start by saying what it is. It is a card game. This is a very different game than what we review usually on, on Game Brain. It's a combination of poker and bridge. It is a yeah, combination exactly. of poker and bridge, Dimitri. But before we get into the review... I have to introduce our special guest. I could Ooh. not really, could not really talk about Tichu without your partner, without, without your Tichu with, partner, without the best partner and the best Tichu player I have ever played the game with. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome first time on the podcast, my wife Moira Donnelly. How are you, Moira? Uh, doing well. Pleasure <laughs> to be here. Good to have you. Um, how many times, if you had to guess, how many times you and I played Tichu, what would you say our, our count is? I mean, probably hundreds, yeah. hundreds of times for hours and hours. I, I did a little calculation trying to figure out how many times. I, I think we're over 500 plays. I think we're over 500 plays. And um, you're doing it just as a favor, right, Moira? You don't like this game at all, right? I, I think my love affair with cards started with Euchre. Back in college. Yep. And then I stopped playing it for about 20 years, didn't play any cards, and then Tichu was introduced to me. <laughs> and I absolutely fell in love. The only other person that I know loves it as much is Dimitri, I think. Yep. <laughs> well, actually, we should say that uh, Tom and Shannon, who are our nemeses, uh, they listen to the podcast, so we should give a little shout-out. Shout-out, Tom. Shout-out, Shannon. Uh, they come to uh, the Strategic Cons, so, Dimitri, we've, we've played games with, with them before, but they are absolute teach-you fiends. Yes. We actually destroy our decks uh, just sweating over <laughs> our plays and contemplating what our next move is going to be. And, and every time you destroy a deck, you have to spend like hundreds of dollars to replace <laughs> it, right? How, how much does a, t a box of Tichu come, uh, cost? Which I is would imagine because it's 999 games, it costs just a cent under ten dollars. I think I think it's around there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Somewhere somewhere in the ten to fifteen dollar range, and you get two brand new decks of Tichu cards. And the Donnellys, we go through about three boxes a year because you you start playing with the cards and they're all so smooth, and then before you know it, you are flop sweating all over the cards <laughs> and they become sticky and and just awful. And your kids mark them, don't they? <laughs> so they know exactly what your hand is. So let's get it. Let me give you a, a quick recap of what Tichu is. Tichu is a partner's game. It is a two versus two game. 
Uh, your partner and yourself sit across the table from each other, and the other partner sits on your left and right across the table from each other. Um, you are dealt a deck of cards. It is a normal deck of playing cards with the exception of four special cards. We'll get to that later. Um, then with these cards, it is a trick-taking game. A player, whoever is the start player, is going to play a, is going to play a card or cards, and other people can follow by playing higher. It can choose to. Uh, elect to play higher than that previous player did. The until, lead, the until, lead hand are poker hands. Some modified, but you can always play a poker hand, and that's important. That's where the poker comes in. Almost entirely, exactly right. Um, and whoever eventually three people are going to pass, meaning the person who played the highest uh, in that grouping was not topped by anybody, then they win all of those tricks, and then they get the right to lead the next trick. So you could lead a single, play a two. If I play a two, Dimitri is welcome to play a three all the way up to an ace or even one of the special cards if he so chose. And by doing that, he keeps the, the, the round going until somebody wins that thing. But you could also lead a pair. You could also lead two pair if they're consecutive. That's a little special rule here. You can't play a pair of twos and a pair of fours. That's not legitimate. But a pair of twos and threes is legitimate. And, and you can play more than Two pairs, as long as they're consecutive. As long as they're consecutive pairs. Again, modified poker hands. Three of a kind is a thing. Straight sort of thing, as long as they're a minimum of five cards. And if you were to play a nine-card straight in Tichu, it is a pretty devastating hand because the only hand that beats it is a higher nine-card exactly straight. Flushes do not play. Nope. No flushes. And you cannot except beat... One, except for one thing, but we'll get to that. Uh, unlike in poker, you can't beat um, three pairs, say, with a full house. It has to follow the rules of the hand that is led, Pe- except People for, might use the word trump in, in sure. this case. So, so when, you, when you lead with a pair, you must play a pair and only a pair on top of it. You can't play anything else, with the exception, as Dimitri mentioned, of bombs. Moira, what are bombs? Bombs are either four cards of the same four number, of yep. four of a kind, or they are straight flushes. Five, it needs to be... A five card straight five flush or higher. straight flush or higher. Sometimes the most exciting is to get up to seven. Ooh. Yes. <laughs> now, what does, a, what does a bomb allow you to do that you normally can't do in Teach You? Uh, absolutely anything. You can bomb anything and then all play stops and that hand is yours. Yep. Unless somebody... Has a higher bomb. Has a higher bomb, exactly. And the straight card bombs are higher than the... Than the four four of a kind kind, bombs. Exactly right. Which means you have an interrupt. I could see that Dimitri is about to play, and somebody plays right before Dimitri, and I realize, oh, Dimitri could go out right now. Boom, it's not even my turn to go. I throw down my bomb, and I say, bomb. And play stops. Dimitri does not get to play his wonderful hand that he was wanting to play unless he has a bomb. I take all of those cards, they're mine, now I have the lead, and I might have gained some very valuable information. You could even bomb yourself. I could play a nice, wonderful hand and then immediately bomb it to keep the lead and to not let anybody else play on that and keep on going. So far, so good? You with me? All right, so then it gets two points. What is the, what is the goal of this thing? Well, in a normal teach you hand, which does not happen too often, but a normal teach you hand, the tens and the kings are worth 10 points each, and the fives are worth five points each, which means 
Each hand is worth a total of 100 points at the end of the round. And it's divvied up among the people that won those tricks. If but that's not how you score most of your points. Moira, how do you score most of your points? Most of your points come from the dragon, the special cards, right? Uh, or- well, well no, I think he's talking about calling Tichu. But yes, yeah, we should, we should mention that the four special cards are the dog. The dog is really simple. You have to have the lead to play the dog. You can't play the dog on anything. But when you have the lead, you can play the dog to give the lead to your partner who sits across the table. That can be a very valuable thing. Yes. Uh, there's the birdie or the mahjong. The mahjong is, counts as a one, so it's lower than a two, and it allows you to lead. It also allows you to ask for a special card, and uh, for a regular card, and the next player in line has to play that card if they can. So you can sort of force people to play a certain way. And then there's the phoenix and the dragon. The phoenix is a wild card. It can imitate any normal card, or it adds uh, half a point to the highest single card that's been played before it. The only problem is, is that if you win a trick with the phoenix, it's worth minus 25 points at the end of the round. And then there is the dragon. The dragon is the single highest card in the game. It plays only as a single, and it counts as an ace plus one. But when you win that trick, it's worth 25 points. But you have to give all of those points in that trick to a member unless the you opposite team. Unless you won the trick with a bomb. But again, why does none of this really matter in Wilder? <laughs> because of the because of teach you because of calling yes you've teach got you. to call che- teach you you can even counter teach you but <laughs> once you call teach you uh your partner this is where the play comes in your partner is all about you if you've called teach you that partner just is there to support you all right now, now Moira, i didn't call you here to give away all our teach you secrets <laughs> all right most people do not play that way <laughs> i know it's they, hard to do you gotta so, fall on that so, sword so when you call teach you what it means is before i play my first card i call teach you and that means i am betting 100 extra points that i will be the first person out of cards that I will be the first person to have played my last card. If I succeed in that, our team gets plus 100 points. If we fail and somebody else gets out first, we get minus 100 points. And remember, the maximum total value of all the points in a teacher deck is 100 points. So a 100-point bet is pretty huge. So what are you doing? When I get my initial cards, I'm looking. What do I have? Wow, I have an eight-card straight, but... Can I, win, can I win the lead to be able to play that eight card straight? Well, I got two aces. Is that going to be enough? Maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. So you're evaluating your hand and seeing what your strengths and weaknesses are, which leads us to the one more thing. I have a partner. I can't communicate with my partner. There's very limited things that I can tell my partner, no matter how much my partner and I want to talk to each other. But there is one way we communicate with each other. What is that? Through passing. Correct. What do we pass? Well, you if you're going to call teach you, you usually pass, if you have the dog, you want to pass that to your partner or a low card communicating mm-hmm. that you're going for teach you or seriously thinking about it. Yeah. So, so we, we pass one card to each other player. We pass one card to our partner and one card to each of our opponents. And that one card passed to your partner is a tremendous amount of information. Like Moira was saying, it should be a signal most of the time. It should be a signal. If I don't think I have a very good hand, I want to pass the best card I have to my partner in the hopes that they can call teach you. If I don't, if I have a great hand, I don't want to. I want to try not to pass them something too high. And if I have the dog, pass them the dog for sure. 
to give them a big warning light that says, warning, warning, your partner may be calling teach you, right? Exactly. Uh, so, Tom, listening to these rules, I have to ask myself, why do I like this game? <laughs> uh, Jake, why do you like, th- why do you love this game? Why is this your number two game? I love this game. I feel like the, for, for whatever reason, the mechanics and gameplay is super intuitive to me. And the the groupings and the the mechanics of it, it just it just speaks to me. I like I'm looking at my hand of cards and I, I see the avenue towards going out. And very few games speak that way to me. So basically you can go from strategy to tactics in a very intuitive way. Huh. I couldn't have said it as eloquently, but I suppose that's true. Yeah. So this For me, one of the reasons I love this game is that it has both strategy and tactics. Yeah. And they're very intuitive, which means that people who love strategy, heavy Euro players can enjoy it. And people who aren't used to heavy Euro games because going from strategy to tactics is intuitive can also enjoy it. This is a game for a very wide range of people. That's like one of a hundred reasons that I love it. Moira, what, what is it? What is it that sings to you about Tichu? Well, I love the way Jake and Dimitri just put that because I hadn't really thought of it in that way, but that's exactly the process that does happen. Also, just those special cards—you um, can play those in in myriad ways, and and it's not all over if you've got a low hand, if you've got a bunch of cards that are yeah. just all low and then you have your one, you know, high card. You give that to your partner, and then you you know, from your opponents, you get some more low cards. There are so many ways to combine those cards. And um, you just, the play is always a surprise, the way that it's played out on the table. Even though the rules are always the same. Yes. This is not a variable rule. This is not like a game where you announce, this is going to be the trump card, or or eights are wild, or suicide kings are whatever, worth minus 100 points. This is a game where there's a very rigid set of rules, and yet every hand that you play is completely different, which means that it's infinitely replayable and infinitely variable. Uh, And... um, that is kind of a miracle, I, I think. For me, the thing about Teach You that makes it so amazing is the teamwork aspect. We play games that are cooperative games in which we're all working together to beat the game, right? Um, Pandemic Legacy, you know, the pandemic games and things like that. All, all, all that sort of stuff, uh, Spirit Island. Um, but it's not the same as my wife and I working together to beat this other couple that are also working together. And we are just, and I can't communicate to her, but I'm just, 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 I'm just in my mind telepathically sending her a message, play a low pair, play a low pair, please play a low pair. Oh my goodness. If you just play a low pair, oh, it's going to be so beautiful. And the, the amount of working together, like, like when we succeed, we succeed as a team. We really do. It's not, it, Two people both playing their best but not playing together are going to get crushed in this game, right? Uh, that's exactly right. Yeah. When you think, oh, I want to try to get double fun or something. Yep. So I'm going to you know, play this huge, long straight. <laughs> By the way, I should just say, um, 
double fun is not an actual Tichu term. <laughs> um, I started playing Tichu before most people played Tichu. This was a very early game for me, and I taught it to a whole bunch of people. And it's technically in the book called Double Victory, which means that you, if you and your partner go out first and second, all play stops, and you get 200 bonus points in addition to whatever Tichu points you got. Um, and some point very early on, because the game has a very fun sense of humor. I mean, the, 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 Urs Hostetler is Swiss, I believe. I, I, and he designed this game that's supposed to, it, it's got nonsense Chinese characters on the front. It makes no sense. It means nothing. I like a tattoo. Yes. <laughs> like a lot of tattoos, exactly. But he wrote this thing in the, in the first editions of the game. He had this joke book, like the whole book, the instructions began with a story about going to, te- going to China and finding out that everybody there played this game called Tichu. And every bus driver in China knew Tichu, but they knew a different rule set for Tichu. And by talking to them, they had this arcane sort of language about it. And there's nonsense, absolute nonsense, not at all true in any way, shape or form. It was him being funny. Now, this game does owe a, a similarity to a Chinese card game. That is, it, it is true. That, it, that has a very different name. But no, it, it, it's, it's, it's nonsensical. It doesn't, it doesn't actually mean anything. Um, and I like that. I like that sense of humor. And so very early on, we, I started calling it double fun instead of double victory because it just sounded it just sounded no like no a, it's a, it sounds wonderful <laughs> but but uh, to get back to what we were both discussing yeah. it is as interactive uh, as any game I can think of yeah and it's also a combination co op and competitive game so in many ways it's the best of both worlds uh, it really hones your skills in competition and in co-ops and you're constantly watching other players you're constantly interacting with other players why why is that jake do you why why do you uh, first of all you play apps you play teach on apps so maybe you're not (laughs) watching other players quite as much that lately i've had to play it on the app because you can't get near anybody these days, um, and also it's really easy to just flip open your phone and get a fix because this game is so addictive and so satisfying. Um, but why you why you pay attention to your your opponents is because you're trying to, or at least I am always trying to deduce what what the spread is. What do they have? What are they likely to do based on what they've thrown? You know, and and then that will inform what my play will be and what my partner's play will be. And not only can what they play hurt you, it can also help you. Like there's so many times when I'm sitting. Oh, absolutely! You can try and bait them. Yes, right. It's almost like a reverse bluffing, where you pretend, oh, I don't have a straight, uh, because you have an enormous straight, or you pretend you don't have a full house, or you pretend you don't have aces. Right, uh, because you're saving something for later in the game. You're playing with their mind. There are people. There Absolutely. are couples that we play with that will not allow me to watch them as they put their cards into their hand because because I'm watching the way they're organizing their hand and figuring out what they have. Well, that's part of the game, though. That's too bad for them because it's random, but it's not random, right? That's right. Uh, because the entire deck is dealt. Yes. In every hand. So every yeah. card, every card that you that is going to be played in that hand is in someone's hand. By looking at your hand and by seeing what cards 
your partner is passing you and what your opponents are passing you, you can pretty much have a good guess about what they're playing with. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely, it's, I agree. The The game has some of the highest highs and lowest lows of any game that that, that we when, when you say Moira, what, what do we do after a teach you game after the, the, the Tom and Shannon have, have come over and they and they go home what do we do with the score sheet oh we hang it up on the wall and <laughs> sometimes there's a lot of counseling <laughs> there's a lot of counseling that has to happen after a few hands and <laughs> in in a place of honor or a place of shame depending upon how we did <laughs> yes and uh I mean, it's it's got that poker aspect. You need to be careful how you're arranging things in your hands. Yeah. And almost always, you have a feel for who has that birdie, who's going to have the lead just from the passing. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And the getting ready for to start the game. Now, we should say that there is one other rule that we should point out, which is there's something called, uh, t- uh, there's something called Grand Teachu. Grand teach you is you what we do that. is we deal out eight cards before we deal out the other six. So we deal out just more than a little more than half of your starting hand. And if at that point you think, wow, this hand is really amazing. We're, we really need a lot of points right now. I'm going to call grand teach you before I've even looked at almost half of my hand. And that is saying, I'm going to go out first, even without knowing what the rest of my cards are. And if we do, we get plus 200 points or minus 200 points if we lose, which is to say, this is a swingy game. One of the reasons this game has such high highs and such low lows is that it is it is Vegas. This is gambling. This is you can have a bad run of cards, but without people, money. No, yeah, but without there's no, but you don't poker. Those yeah. who play poker know that playing poker without money is completely meaningless. You start taking risk. You start making bets you never would in real life and yep. poker loses meaning teach you has all the excitement and all the meaning of poker it kind of sucks you in and it makes you really care and makes you play your best without any money being at stake which is kind of miraculous that's true yeah well because that's true. and i'd like to just chime in on the grand teacher thing um, after a while of playing on the on the app I decided to, I sort of fell into a rut and I decided to just always call Grand Teacher, regardless of whatever I was dealt, every single hand. <laughs> that, that, and by the way, that's called playing that playing like John Donnelly. Works pretty well. <laughs> that, that strategy, I win more than I lose doing that. And teach you, you know, like I don't poker. know if it's because the system is imperfect and like it's not fully random because it's a computer, uh-huh. but you can, you can clean up and just, if you always call Grand Teacher, and, you know, I got to say, it's my wife's favorite game also, um, which I wish someday we could always, you know, play together as a teams. But uh, a running joke in my house whenever she's playing it is I ask her if she called Grand Teach You because you should just always do that. <laughs> Teach You like poker rewards aggression. It does. Yeah. Now, uh, yes, absolutely. So, Jake, let me just say this. You will have you and Carrie will have an open invite to join Moira and I for Teach You once the, uh, the the current madness is over. And once we are back to a place where we can hang out without getting sick w- uh, with each other. Very, that is lovely. Very much. Uh, I like that very that. much. That would be great. Um, if we're talking about the app, we should just talk about the app really quick. Um Guys, why do I why do I call when when Dimitri <laughs> makes a particularly poor play at Tichu? Why do I call him Becky? Because Becky is your pre-programmed partner in the game. They uh, you can change the names if you have that level of interest. But yes, Becky is your partner, and she's not awesome. 
She she's really quite contentious, actually. <laughs> she she openly harms you more often than she ever helps you. She'll go against you if you call Tichu. She doesn't help you at all. There's no consideration as a partner whatsoever. And as a Becky, uh, I want to say something. Um, I am not a great Tichu player. Uh, I am fairly competent. Uh, I used to be horrific at it, <laughs> and, and you still and- loved it. I still loved it. This is a game that I loved from the very outset. This is a game that I loved when I kept losing. Uh, and that will, at some point in this episode, lead us into our topic, which is games that are fun to play, even if when you're doing badly. Yeah. But yeah, there are yeah. a couple of things I want to talk about, uh, teach you before we leave the subject. Sure. Tom, how long is uh, uh, an average hand of teach you? Oh, a hand of Tichu? Wait, five minutes? Okay. Right. So you are going to experience highs and downs, uh, uh, highs and lows, uh, and extreme emotions in five minutes guaranteed. And then the next five minutes, it's going to be wiped clean, and you're going to have a brand new hand. So as a game. Wiped clean. As a game. It sticks with me, baby. <laughs> it's all in there. <laughs> well, well, I have no shame. <laughs> Maybe you should have a little less. But, but Moira, is this a, is this a high, high uh, like, like a fast-paced game for you? It really is. I mean, it is so engaging. I really never stay up super late, but I could I could stay up till three or four in the morning playing teach you no problem. When we play with my brother, when we play with my brother and his and his wife, we will go until two, three a.m. Hours, and you don't even feel the passage of the hours, and that really does not happen to me. But it sucks you in, and it it completely takes you on that ride that you're talking about, Dimitri. It is the only game that before we play. My wife wants to huddle with me and talk strategy. She's like, "Okay, here's what we're gonna do." <laughs> she, she's like, "Okay, now don't you don't you let up on them? Okay, you're, you're gonna go right now." Uh, but it, actually, I do think that that one of the reasons I wanted Moira to come on, besides her her love for Tichu, is that I think she uh, Moira, and her Moira, love for you. You have a you, well, worse well, without uh, um, Is that I think Moira, you have a very Good perspective on how Tichu should be played and what and and how to look at the game that even people we've played with tons and tons of times don't always get. So, what would your advice if if there's listeners out there that are going to pick up a copy of Tichu and are going to start playing it? What is your starting advice to to how to play good Tichu? I would say just take the individual completely out of your mind. You are totally tied to your partner and then it becomes so much fun like I can tell you that I have this uncanny ability to no matter who is dealing and who (laughs) is who has just shuffled I get a whole bunch of low cards and one really high card and so I'm always dealing down there at the bottom. And Tom has all of the best cards (laughs) like 12 (laughs) cards straight that happened the last time we played he Mm -hmm. had two Twice in Twice. two different hands. He had 12 card straights and. Um, in a 14 card hand. Yeah. yeah. And this is typical. So um, I would say just taking taking what you have, manipulating it, and, and it is this strict rules, yet you can break them all. You don't have to play the bird in that first hand. Mm-hmm. You know, you can play it as your very go out card and um, just 
take breaking all of those rules. You're not exactly breaking them, but those special cards allow you so much flexibility in this game, yep. and um, kind of taking your position. I I know that other other couples they're like, oh, I just saw my opportunity to, you know, get all these out of my hand, and then we we might be able to get this double fun, right? Right. But you just you got to get your partner that teach you if they've called teach you, and um. For me, so it, it was a journey. I mean, I had to learn that. I It, it wasn't that I oh, had yeah. it all at uh, once. You uh, know? Marla, I like what you just said uh, because you, you said every rule can be broken. Uh, and gamers uh, call it playing on rails when a game is too confining and too strict. What teach you is like, for me, is really it's like a roller coaster without any rails <laughs> because you're right. Your strategy, your tactics can counteract any rule that you might have learned, sometimes playing against expectations, like in poker, uh, will bring you rewards. There's so many possibilities. Yes. Yeah. Uh, what what Moira was saying, uh, this is one of the reasons I wanted her on, because you are such a good teach-you player. You're, you really, really are. Even though I'm calling more of the teach-you's and all that sort of stuff, it would not work if you weren't playing the way you are. And by the way, when you have a good hand, you are a early, you will call grand teach-you, you will call teach-you, you're an early caller, and you go for it, and you're, you're great in that mode as well. Um, but it's one of those things where... What will happen in Teach You is you'll have a pair of twos, threes, fours, and fives. Horrible, horrible cards, but you can play them all at once if only you can get the lead. And then you have one ace. Most players are not going to pass that ace to their partner. Moira is always going to pass that ace to her partner. Bad players are going to think, well, I want that ace, so if I get the lead, I can get rid of all of these low cards. Moira's thinking is that all of these cards, the entire hand is only worth 100 points. If my partner can call, t if I give my partner an ace and that gives them the extra card they need to call Tichu, they're getting an extra 100 points in addition to whatever we get. It is so much better. And than it's that. not just passing the card, it's how your partner plays Correct. during the hand that supports you. Correct. Because there's so many ways in which a partner can wreck your Tichu <laughs> by playing on. Right? Moira, yes, can completely. you talk about that? Yeah. Completely. I mean, um, the strategic use of the dog is very important. Yes. But but also um, in the in that pass, when you are, obviously you communicate to your partner, playing that high or that low card, um, but I don't always pass the lowest card to my opponents. Um, yeah. I go ahead, I mean, if I have a combination, I can get a full house or I can get those... Um, straights going in the in the mm -hmm. low numbers i don't always pass the twos and the threes and you never ever pass the dog that's confusing to people <laughs> except for grand teacher except that. for yeah that's the one exception <laughs> oh man um but yes that support of the partner where you know what they're going for and you just stay out of the way i mean you may pass the entire time and they're they've They've gone out. And, and what it ends up creating is like two different dogfights, right? There's one person that is, one person on the other team is chasing the Tichu player and trying to stop them from getting Tichu. The other person on the other team is sort of the goalie and is sort of sitting back there not playing any cards because we can't let them get double fun. So I have to keep some of my good stuff. And then invariably, it creates this wonderful rhythm where there's a race for Tichu. And then after that, there's a whole other game to be played. And 
Moira is so good at that game because she's used to having low cards and she knows how to play the, those suboptimal hands and to realize that, hey, you know what? Almost all the aces are gone. Almost all the kings are gone. Suddenly my hand isn't that terrible anymore. It's playable. All of a sudden we, we can do things with this. It, yeah. It's part of the unpredictability of Tichu. You know, in physics there's a three-body problem and <laughs> uh, in Tichu is a four-body problem. It is. It's a four-mind problem and... Uh, as good as players are, the, the better player you are, the more unpredictable you are in, in Chichu. This is one of those things that, that makes me sad uh, that we're in quarantine, that we're, that we're dealing with this, with this global crisis. Um, I very much miss playing games face-to-face with people uh, at a table. I very much miss that. Um, but... I don't miss that as much as I miss playing Tichu with people across the table. Like playing Tichu virtually doesn't do anything for me. I need to, I need to be able to look in people's eyes. I need to be able to see their body language. Uh, you know, for me, that's that's a classic part of the experience. And I hope very much that all four of us uh, will be able to play Tichu in the very near future. Let's, and I hope we can all yep, get together for to Great that. Western Trail. I agree. Just, <laughs> just Jake, any final thoughts? Just that um, this game is excellent and everyone should try it. And Moira, any final thoughts? Just ultimately, it doesn't matter if you're winning or losing. It, it's a thrilling card game. Uh, for me, obviously, if anybody's listening yeah. from the Church of Scientology, oh, yeah, always, call Grand Just always do that. Yeah, if anybody's <laughs> if anybody's listening from Church of Scientology, please have uh, a teacher tournament, and you'll convert all of us. <laughs> but uh, uh, much better than the personality test. It's yes, gonna get a, it's going to uh, pack them in. Basically, uh, if you don't know what we're talking about, or uh, we may sound like people talking about Cats, the musical in the early '80s in New York, or people talking about some kind of cult the price of admission here is very very low it's not just in terms of how cheap the game is but it's completely portable just a deck of cards you can play it anywhere and also something we touched on the teaching time the effort to learn the game is really minimal if you're a poker player if you have any knowledge of, of what a trick-taking game is, you can learn all the rules in five minutes. Uh, and of course... It's a little bit harder than that. It's actually not the easiest teach in the, in the world, but it's not hard. I agree It's with not a hard teach. And the thing is, how hard it is doesn't depend on people's experience with board games. In other words, an experienced board game player and someone who hasn't played board games before can both learn the if game. If they played poker, bridge, euchre, if they played uh, spades, any of these games, they have a foothold into what Tichu is. I would and, say that this is one of the lowest prices of admission in all these yeah. respects, in table space, in teaching time, in portability, in cost. Uh, Alfred, any- Alfred, Paul, myself, and friend of the pod, Matt, played Tichu at the base of the Osaka Castle in Japan. I'll, I'll put. I'll post a picture of that. Uh-huh. I have. I have, I have a picture of that. I'll, I'll post it on our, yeah, our yeah. Facebook. Yeah, and you all week. sent it to me. 
<laughs> and y'all went, suck it. <laughs> You're not here. Look, we're playing teacher without you in Japan. Right. And we just had three Michelin star name. sushi. So here's, yes. here's what we do. Here's what we do. Uh, for, for those of you that think we're all one big happy family, you should know that Dimitri is at almost every single game night there ever is. Whenever he is not at one of our game nights, we make it a point to play one hand of Tichu and to take a picture of us doing that and to send it to him. <laughs> because when he's here, we never play Tichu. <laughs> because that's part of the meta game. It's not just the game you're playing, it's the game you're playing. <laughs> With the, with my mind. <laughs> uh, Moira, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. And thank you Moira. for being such an amazing teacher partner and a partner in general for all of these years. I really appreciate it. We do have a question for you as a kindergarten teacher. Oh, yes, 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 uh, yes, yes. Who is starting uh, to teach full time for the first time Jake's this son. Year. Yeah, Jake's son, Logan, is about to enter kindergarten. And he was very dispirited when he heard about how much screen time was going to be had. Jake, would you would you just uh, just relay to Moira what you were what you were telling us for a second, and maybe she has something. Oh, that sure. She has to say. Yeah, we uh, we sat down and did the Zoom call with his principal, and he laid out the basic schedule of what it's going to be. And obviously, it's distance learning, so I have to take it with a grain of salt. But just the, the idea of so much screen time and at least in our what we've been presented half of it is pre-recorded and not even interactive it just it, it gave me pause because we really limit the screen time for our kid and you know it, it it's got me concerned yes and as well it should there are so many parents that share your concern and um this age group uh, they're brains their brain development is just exploding and their social emotional uh, awareness is completely turned on and they need to be with each other physically in a room um uh, so i'm definitely hoping this is going to pass very quickly but um one very important thing that happens in kindergarten uh, is that you have these things called works some people call them workstations or centers where children work in pairs or in groups of threes and fours and they actually are hands-on with some sort of a manipulative um so mm -hmm. that sort of experience i'm very much uh, planning to try and see if i can provide even though part of it's going to be virtual i'm going to see if i can't meet the parents uh, once a week and pass these sorts of things out. Um, Are those the things that I've been cutting and bagging up? And yes, my poor husband has been over <laughs> like a little Santa elf. I've um, been doing almost nothing. <laughs> well, my wife has been working for, no no exaggeration, one month every single day, 12 hours a day, putting together these packets, 20 packets for each month that uh, that are going to be able to go out to these parents and that they're going to be able to move to the next parent so that the kids have something tangible and non-virtual to use. That's yeah. amazing. That's so good. That's the hope. So I would I would say um, just novel experiences turn on these aged kids, you know, their brains. They they just need to be exposed to a lot of different things. Um and just take them outside and give them things to touch and smell and feel and get those five senses going. And, and just speaking to them and reading to them a lot will help get through this period a little bit more. Thanks, Moira. Feel better, Jake? A little bit? Yep, very much. Yeah. 
listen, you are you are a concerned, involved parent that is in your son's life every single day. Yep. He is he is showered with advantages that a lot of kids don't have. And you are going to be able, whatever the situation is going to be, you are going to be the person that can supplement it and and fill in the blanks for what is not being provided by the school. Yes. Yes. Well, um, thank you, Tom. I appreciate that. Yeah. And I wish your son a good a good kindergarten year, however that turns out to be. Moira, thank you so Thanks much. Thanks so much. <laughs> All right, Thanks guys. for coming. Yes, it, was great. it was great having you. And thank you very much, Moira. And now we're going to move on to our member-specific segment. Dimitri, what are we talking about today? We're talking about what makes game, some games fun, even when you're playing badly. Uh, and it's a subset of basically someone is going to lose. And, and more people are going to lose than are going to win any game that you play. Uh, so what qualities can a game possess uh, that will ensure that the people who are not winning mm-hmm. uh, and even people who are playing badly that day, uh, which I do a lot, can still have fun? Uh, and, and I want to uh, make two caveats. This is not about party games. This is uh, a segment about uh, demanding heavy games that are possible to play badly. And the other thing uh, that I want to say is that this isn't about flow. Uh, Trey and Jesse and you have discussed flow very eloquently on this program. Mm -hmm. Uh, Jake or Tom, can you tell us what flow is? Sure. Yeah. Um, flow is is a brain state uh, that happens when a person hits a challenge that activates the brain in a special way. It essentially is a place where time and space change. Your perception of time changes, and you're able to sort of enter a zone, almost of meditation. Exactly. Being in the zone, being in the pocket. Uh, it's all about a special feeling you get when you're playing well. It's a close correlation between effort and achievement. Fun is not tied to achievement. Fun is effortless. And there are games that are really good with flow. Games should also be good with fun. And because I'm such a fun person, I have Five different bullet points, <laughs> but but we can talk about them uh, any way you'd like. Uh, so, uh, Jake, do you want to start? Tom, do you want to start, or can, do you want can to you, launch into this? Jake, I just need to ask you a question. Can you imagine Dimitri with his with his mother on Mother's Day? Mother, <laughs> here are five bullet points on why I love you. One, <laughs> directness. <laughs> <You're>... <laughs> Tom, oh you read my mind. No, no, you're an no, mother, no mother, before I talk about this, first I want to discuss flow. Do you know what flow is? Dimitri, <laughs> uh, <laughs> let's talk about directness first. <laughs> cool. uh, so directness... Uh, oh, man. <laughs> directness is when you're taking actions that actually feel like what you're supposed to be doing. Um, and, and, and Jesse talked about this um, uh, a lot on, on, on uh, an episode of a podcast, and I, I think he's absolutely right. So my first example is an Avalon. When you choose 
players to go uh, on on a on a uh, mission with you, you're actually choosing actual players. Right. You're, you're not taking little wooden pieces. Um, a, a, mecha- a mechanism that you enjoy very much bidding. Mm-hmm. Bidding in a game is actually like bidding in real life. You feel like you're doing performing the action sure. that that the game is asking of you. It, it, it's not like, again, I'm placing my meeple on the bidding worker action space. There, I've bid. No, you're actually bidding. And having these tangible, interesting actions that feel like what they do in real life... Um, Oh, as well as like interesting mechanisms like the wheels and Sulkin, where right. you're turning these beautiful wheels, and it really does, in a very artful, artistic way, simulate the passage of time. Is this a little bit like tangibility when I talk about tangibility? It's very much like tangibility. And uh, I want to say that tangibility is about fun. And every game out there, Every game out there can be more tangible. Yeah, uh, I mean, and, and to be more fun. For example, Barrage. Barrage is a very dark, abstract, heavy game, and yet it has the wheels that you turn. We had to add the little drops of water to it to make it more tangible. You can add actual sheep to to Agricola. Uh, yeah, that's what I would say. I would say I enjoy Agricola even when I lose because I can look down and say, look at my little farm. Yeah, Trey scored more points, but I, my farm's better. Look at that. Look and at that. that's it's, fun. It's gorgeous. That's it's fun. Beautiful. I feel like I accomplished something. I did, I did well by my farmers. I want to call it directness because for me, that also includes the mechanisms sure. of bidding and selecting. Even when it's, they're not little wooden pieces or plastic pieces that you're having fun with, there are actions Mm -hmm. that you can perform that feel direct because this is what they are in real life and you're actually performing those actions in the context of a game oh that makes sense i think this point speaks to me in the way of how i'm always saying that what it looks like really matters like the skin of a game whereas tom i know it doesn't it could be just like basically a sheet of numbers and you'd still enjoy it if it was smart (laughs) but for me to like feel in it is if, if it's got like cool minis or if it's got like actually beautiful art or, you know, something that makes me feel like I'm in that world. I, I think that's that's what you're talking about for me, uh, Dave. Cool. Uh, so my second point is having stakes in another player's action. Uh, there's so many games that I play that are not fun for me mm. because I'm just waiting for the other player to get over their AP and and actually make a move, mm-hmm. right? So then I can make my move, and then I have to wait for them to make their move again. Uh, and usually, Tom, for you, you talk about games that are not interactive enough. They're, they're like... Uh, multiplayer Multiplayer solitaire. solitaire. Yeah. But yeah. for me... Don't like it. Yeah. What, uh, what is not fun, in addition to multiplayer solitaire is when the only way that you can be affected by another player's move is if they hurt you. Uh, For example, I love Barrage, but in Barrage, another player can hurt you by building a dam upstream from you and taking away your water flow. Sure. And and that is uh, blank blocking, 
right? Sure, uh, sure. And, and, and that is very hurtful. Um, if I'm, if the only reason I am carefully watching another player is because they can really destroy my something that I've been planning, it's not as fun. It's not as pleasant. Well, okay, so but okay, go ahead. Uh, when you can benefit from another player's action mm. inadvertently, sometimes, then it becomes really exciting in teach you. Uh, when I'm waiting for somebody to make a move, what if they play a two, then I can get rid of this three that I have in, in my hand. Uh, in poker, uh, you can benefit from another player's betting. If, if you have a pair of aces and somebody raises before you in turn order, mm. gold, right? So the ability... And this is not something that players do intentionally, but the possibility in a game of another player's action benefiting you uh, makes the game more fun. Uh, uh, Trey brought up this point in his discussion of Monopoly. Mm. When you're playing Monopoly, you're really interested in the other player's roll of the dice because they can land... That's how you make money, yeah. Yes, they can land on your space, and that way you can make money. I think that not only are games where somebody can positively interfere with you, mm-hmm. where some, some other player's move can actually actively benefit you, not only are they more fun, they're also more like real life. Because in real life, in business, your competitors often can do things that you can make money off of. Your competitors can give you an advantage. And one of the ways that you can get ahead in business is by recognizing when your competitors are giving you an opening, are mm-hmm. giving you an advantage. Uh, in Barrage, very odd, like Ben and I, um, Ben built uh, a uh, conduit on my dam uh, and at first I like really resented it, but then that actually gave me points every time he used it, and I won that game. So one of the reasons I love Barrage is that even though it's very cutthroat and very competitive, there are places for positive interaction. For cooperation to some degree. I don't think... I, it's I mean, cer- not certainly conscious. The, certainly it's not the, that conscious. Certainly it is cooperation, though. What you're describing is that, um, yeah. For me, there's a uh, constant debate that I'm having with uh, with a, with a number of people. I think uh, uh, Jennifer and uh, and Trey are two people. I believe I believe I'm not misspeaking. I hope I'm not. Uh, that they are generally against hidden victory conditions. Generally, uh, Jennifer definitely is. I think Trey also is to some degree. And I don't think it's 100, percent but in general, um, hidden victory conditions are. Sometimes something that a person doesn't like. I like them because I am paying attention to the way a person is playing to try and figure out a puzzle. Why are they playing this way? What is the victory condition that they have that they're playing for? I especially like it in games when they reveal that victory condition at the end of the game. Everybody gets to score that victory condition. Twa is a game that has that. 
in this way, it's not what a player is doing isn't positive or negative. It isn't hurting me or helping me necessarily. But what they're doing is giving me a clue to what is one of the things that is one of the, one of the aspects that is going to be scored at the end of the game. And if I am paying attention to the way other people are playing, I can gain the advantage of that. And, and for me, that, that, that works very much. Sure. But listening to what you're saying right now, and sure. it's a very powerful point, you're still talking about playing well. You're still talking about uh, recognizing, figuring things out. You're talking about uh, triumphing in the end because another player has a victory condition. Well, no, I'm saying that I'm saying that even if I lose, I was engaged and interested, and I enjoyed the game because there were still things that I were doing that was interesting. That's true. When a player can do something in the moment mm-hmm. that inadvertently benefits you, uh-huh. it's fun. Is it? It's fun because you didn't have to put in the effort to do it. What does Paul say about that uh, that occurrence? Uh, Paul hates it. And, <laughs> and and by the way, I Paul is not. He said so on last week's episode. He said that he gets the fun in gaming out of interacting with other people. He, for Paul, the fun is watching other players. Yeah. Is talking to other players. I'm talking about fun that can come from a game. Sure. For Paul, that's immaterial. Uh, for Paul, a game is uh, a trifle uh, that his super powerful rocket scientist, turbocharged brain can, you know, figure out in five minutes. Yeah, makes sense. Uh, Jake, what do you think of uh, opportunities for other players to actually help you? Do you enjoy it or do you resent it? I certainly don't resent it, but and and I guess I would welcome it, but I'm not waiting for it. I'm not like, ooh, when will that, you know, if only that would happen. Yeah, you'll be waiting a lot. I don't time. mind it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like for <laughs> for me that's not even on my radar to be honest because I'm trying so hard just to like grok the game that we're in and and not waste my own and everybody else's time so that I'm not playing so poorly. Um, but I don't mind if somebody makes a move that, that suits me. That's, that's fine. Does it make it more fun or less fun? I mean, it doesn't make it less fun. Okay. That's a very diplomatic answer. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So the third, if you hadn't mentioned it, it wouldn't have been on my radar as like, Ooh, what's going to spice this up. Uh, so, Mom, the number th- third reason that I love you on Mother's Day is uh, uh, something I call peaks and valleys. Uh-huh. Peaks and valleys are fun. There are a lot of games like Age of Steam mm-hmm. that are more of an uphill slog. Uh, sure. And like Paul talked about it in a previous uh, episode about how you're in debt until you're maybe... 80% into the game when you finally climb out of it. Or sometimes 100% of it. Or sometimes 100% <laughs> of it, right? It always feels like an uphill climb. Uh, whereas if in Age of Steam, you could get out of debt and then fall back into it, if there were peaks and valleys, uh, if it was more like a roller coaster or more like a book or a movie where you can triumph at or lose at various points in between as you're playing this three- or four-hour game. Um, Other than teach you, what, what are some examples? Well, sure, Gallerist, for example. In Gallerist, you have halfway scoring. 
mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. where there is a, a moment where everyone can take a breath and say, oh, let's see where we are now. In barrage, there are rounds that if you're ahead in that round, you can score extra points Mm -hmm. and people can lose, but people can climb to that peak again. Uh, In Teotihuacan, uh, there are three rounds and whoever is ahead at at the end of a round can score extra points, but that's okay because you can be that person to score extra points in, in, in the next round. There are many games that are designed like these games uh-huh. uh, and many, many others that are designed up, not like Age of Steam, which, which is, the structure of Age of Steam is struggle, 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 the end. But it's, it's more of an up and down. It's more of a peaks and valleys that allow you to reflect, allow you to celebrate, and allow you to even pre-lose mm. and, and, and still have a chance to win later. When I think peaks and valleys, I don't really think of those games because I think those, you know, scoring at the end of every round, none of that really hits me in a peaks and valleys way particularly. I, mean, I guess a little bit. Uh, but for me, games like Dune, games where... I have a battle, and I oh, I lost that battle, but that's okay. I'm gonna marshal my forces, and I'm I got another battle coming. Excellent example, right? I really, really enjoy that. I, I think that's pretty great. Jake, are you still with us? Yes, you are. Okay, good. I'm still with you. I'm just wrapped. I, I'm no, no, totally no, 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 no. With it, you, it, and I was, I was. The, the sound, the Go sound, ahead, the sound went dead for a second. So I thought, I thought for a second, I thought we might have lost you on the call, but I'm glad you're still on. Oh yeah, yeah no, not at all. I was just listening. Good. Good, good, good. No, patiently. Um, but I agree with what, what you were saying, D, about it feels more like a story, more like a movie if there's, you know, ups and downs. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's uh, some... Uh, Jake, have you played Age of Steam? Don't ask Jake that question. He doesn't know if he's I think it. I did try that one. <laughs> yes. You know, it's a game where you build I railroads. I, name, I think so. Yes. One of the, and, and yeah, I, know, I didn't like it. You didn't like it. And I know you've played 18xx, right? A couple of times? Absolutely, yes. A couple of different ones. Uh, no, no, not a couple of times, but a couple of different train games. A couple of different... like that one. Yes. Uh, and, and tell me, do you remember in 18xx, did it have peaks and valleys for you, or was it one long slug? It was one downhill. No, it was not fun yeah. for me. Okay, so so I, I think that... Um, uh, if you can build in a peaks and valleys mechanism into a game like Age of Steam or 18XX, it would open that game up psychologically for more players. It, yeah, I definitely it, it, felt like I knew, I knew right away it was over and I just had to like tough it out. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, n- number four... Uh, on my mommy list. <laughs> Mother, uh, I and, love the randomness with which you dispense love. Yes. The random, <laughs> the, it's randomness. And, and <laughs> Trey, Trey, I'm very sorry if you're listening to this. Uh, randomness is fun. Uh, and You don't have to apologize to Trey. You, can be, you could be wrong. It doesn't hurt him when you're wrong. But there, <laughs> uh. <laughs> uh, But... There are many ways in which randomness leads to fun. One of the ways in which randomness leads to fun is if 
cards are dealt out randomly or there are random secret winning conditions, uh, that gives you the opportunity to guess. Guessing is always fun because if you guess correctly, it's super fun. If in poker, I guessed that you're bluffing, it's super fun for, for me to rake the pot. Was guessing fun in the deer hunter? Uh, that was random. Uh, well, the thing is, is that he died, right? <laughs> I mean, so, who you know, but no, no, guess. And if you guess Spoiler wrong, alert. if you guess wrong, you can kind of shake it off. You know, guessing wrong, there's, not, there's no shame in guessing ro- wrong. There's a shame for me in playing four hours of Agricola and still having empty squares because I didn't plant that field or I forgot to grab that family growth action. I can always blame myself for not building the best engine because look at the engine that Trey built. Look at the engine that Tom built. Look at the engine that Matt built. If I guess wrong, ah, you know, it's not such a big Can I just say, it, it, for me, playing all of these games, I'm, I'm pretty much always guessing. Okay. <laughs> and, and, and I would say... Do you know what I mean? Like, I would say... Me, yeah, yeah, yeah. Jake, I would say that whatever, whatever my skills as a game player... As a game player, they're not great. I'm not a great game player. I've been playing games for 15 years. Uh, I'm still getting better. Sometimes I, I'm backsliding. I think, in general, if you add up our game nights, I had more fun than Trey. Wow. <laughs> wow. Jake, Jake, just to get back to your point, are, are, is what you're saying basically that until you start seeing the pattern, everything is randomness? That's exactly what I'm saying. Well put. Yes. Yeah, that, that exact thing. <laughs> yeah, I I think that I find that you you know when I'm most of the time I'm teaching a game. So if I'm teaching a game, it is very rare for me to sit down and be playing a game and have to figure it out while I'm playing. I already had to do that before game night started. But right. when I do, when I go to conventions and things like that, and I'm playing something new, I definitely have that experience, and it, it's it's that. Uh, it's one of my favorite things to do, actually, is to have that experience of sitting down and seeing something that feels almost completely random. And then little by little, having that pattern emerge out of the randomness and to see it. And then at just this one point, it all suddenly clicks. And that is a deeply, deeply satisfying and, and fun experience for me. Again. Absolutely. Are- and, and Dimitri, I will validate my, my experience of what you're saying, which is, yeah, because it's random, I don't beat myself up since... I, it's like, might as, well, let's see what happens. You know what I mean? So, yes, and, I agree with that. And, Tom, once again, you said something very important, meaningful, and cogent. But it is, again, about accomplishment. It is about flow. It is about putting in effort and getting a reward that was previously just beyond your reach. But you reached for it. You extended and you got it. That is a close correlation between effort and reward. And fun is something you, you realize get I'm Catholic, right? Without effort. You realize I'm Catholic. <laughs> I'm not allowed to have I'm not allowed to experience joy without work. Joy without work is fun. Uh, are you, uh, what and, are you talking about? No, no, no. There's another way. Dimitri, you said fun, you meant sin. sin. Yes, yes. Continue. Uh now I feel guilty and I'm not sure I can. <laughs> but 
another way in which randomness uh, encourages fun is that if I don't know, if I don't have full knowledge of what you're building, like unlike in Agricola, I can look at Trey's board and I see he's going to need to build a room, right? If I don't have full knowledge, uh, then someone can bluff. Mm -hmm. And bluffing is fun because when I... Playing Agricola, I don't need to look at Trey's face. I can look at his board and I can see exactly what he needs. But if there's a randomness in his board and if his board is hidden and that randomness is something I have to deal with, I'm going to have to read Trey. I'm going to have to look up. I'm going to have to look at Trey's face. This this is 0.5 now, right? That's what you're talking about. You're talking about playing above the board. It will lead into 0.5, but randomness... See, there's a method to my madness, mommy. Is there? <laughs> you know. <laughs> please, please don't call me that. <laughs> there's a. <laughs> it's interesting that you thought I was addressing you directly. You were uh, you were making intense eye contact. It's very troubling. <laughs> so, so um, basically, in order to discover if someone's bluffing, in order to discover what somebody really needs when there's randomness, I have to interact with them. Mm-hmm. I have to look at them. I have to try to get a read. I have to try maybe to even to like dig the information out of them socially. And that leads to what's really fun. And I completely agree with Paul. So Paul talks about how for him, the most fun in a game and all the fun in the game is socially interacting with people while he's playing it. Right. Uh, ultimately, he's right. Because ultimately, Paul is right about everything. Right, Tom? He's in your family. <laughs> uh, without a doubt. Of course. Absolutely. Of course. But I don't think if we're playing a game and we're interacting and it's completely separate, then the game is not fostering that fun. There are ways in which games can force you, not force you, encourage you to look at the other players. Certain games encourage play above the board. Mm-hmm. Certain games require you to engage, interact with other players, to look at them, to listen to them, to have a discussion. Uh, games like Teach You, uh, by interestingly enough, by limiting what you can say or cannot say to your partner. Uh, teach you encourages you to try to communicate in many other ways. The game that does not try to do that is another game, Agricola. Agricola is not a fun game to play for me, in part because everything I need to know is in front of me. Everything I need to know is on the table surface. There's nothing uh, that leads me to... uh, talk to Trey uh, or look at Trey or talk to Paul or look at Paul or talk to you or look at you while we play Agricola, except if I'm being manipulated. Dimitri, you don't need to take the play. You don't need to take the family growth action this round. Or Dimitri, you don't really need to plow the fields this round. And I know Tom is saying that because he wants that action for himself, and he's trying to move me off of it. Um, and that's kind of icky. 
that's not fun. <laughs> you, you know, that's not fun when the only way for you to interact with another player is to, to manipulate them into taking a substandard action. But Tom, that is fun for you, maybe, you know? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'm kind of having a problem with your premise. I guess your, 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 your premise seems to be fun has to not be work. Fun has to be something that just happens yeah yeah because something something that is joyful out of work that's flow and there is fun that is separate from flow there is fun that you can have in a game when you're playing badly when games have the five mechanisms yeah, but all that the things, i discussed yeah but all the things i'm describing i enjoy even if i'm doing them even 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 if i'm playing badly even if i'm losing even if i'm making the wrong choices i'm still uh, having a great amount yeah, of joy yeah yeah and 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 here's where i want to make the distinction good uh, so you can play well and lose sure i'm talking about playing badly you can play badly and win right i'm not talking about playing well mm. you know i'm not talking about winning I'm talking about where here's a game where tonight I'm just not going to be able to well, uh, handle the rules. I'm not going to be able to uh, do the strategy to tactics conversion uh, be- because... I think we can agree on Avalon, right? A- Avalon, some of my favorite games are when I was completely wrong about everything and I was completely hoodwinked by the other team, I did not. I was sure that A, B, and C were the villains, and really it was D, E, and F who I, to my dying breath, was defending. Me too. Right? Me too. Right. And in Avalon, some of my favorite moments in Avalon was when Trey guesses, Dimitri, you're a spy. I, I mean, it's just so obvious. And I go, oh my God, yes, I'm playing so badly. And I'm having so much fun. And I'm even having fun in being found out. And, and Jake, I think for Avalon, that's when you shine as well. It's, it's because you are the person that says, look, I know what I don't know. <laughs> and, <that's, Yeah. laughs> and that is tremendously valuable to us because we get locked into a certain thing. And you have actually worked very well. You do a very good job of pulling people off of their confidence intervals, right? Mm. And pulling people down. And I got to say, bit. just in general, I, I feel like this whole subject applies to me because I always have fun at game night with you guys. And I never play that well. So I'm like living proof. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I love I love playing games. I love playing games with friends, and I love playing games with this friend group in that in in ascending order. There, these uh, I think we have a really special group. I always have said that. I think the podcast is 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 bearing that out. You know, and yep. and I wouldn't be able to say that if playing well was a requirement for me to have an enjoyable time. I that's I, exa- I, agree. I agree with you, and that's why game designers, uh, if any are listening, I think at least some are listening, there are things you can add to games that make them more fun for people who are not playing well. And that is an aesthetic choice, but it's also a moral choice. The opposite moral choice is this game is only for people who play well. This game is only Well, there are games like that on purpose, obviously. I mean, they're just a higher tier difficulty. 
Not necessarily, because again, in my in, in my experience, token can be fun if you're not playing well. Barrage can be fun if you're not playing well. Dune can definitely be fun if you're not playing well. There are things like Tetehuacan. You can the blocks are fun if, hmm. even if you're not playing well. There are minor adjust, relatively minor adjustments that can be made that would encourage players to look at each other more. Uh, that would in, that would encourage players to take more direct actions. Uh, that would add a little bit of healthy randomness uh, that would uh, allow for bluffing and allow for guessing that even the heaviest games can include that would make them more fun. And I think that morally and aesthetically, that will often be the right choice. Huh. You know what, Dimitri, halfway through this uh, th- this talk, I wasn't sure where you were going with this, but I'm going to say something I don't think I've ever said before. Uh, I agree with you, Dimitri. I think... <laughs> <laughs> oh, you've said that before. You remember we both don't like fantasy themes. That is true. That is true. And then you, went, and then you so went and ruined it with the... Subjects there. Then you went and ruined it with Cheesecake Factory. I don't understand you. I don't understand you. Tom, uh, we, at we are, some po- the first meal we're going to have no. when this COVID thing lives we are not. is no. I, 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 I'm no. throwing a sack over your not head, gonna and I'm kidnapping it's you. not going to happen. Uh, Never. And Never. we're going to have a 5,000 calorie Guys, we're almost meal. out of time. Let's, 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 yeah. We didn't do a sommelier let's last week. Let's do a sommelier real quick Let's do a sommelier. Here we go. Sometimes a player just got to know which game should stay. Which game should go? Which to play with mama, madame, abu? You got to tell me, monsieur, just what to do. Want to make an impression, but I can't get far. As my 50th player of Agricola. A million games. Show me the way to the master. The game sommelier. All right. Mommy, what's our sommelier question this week? Oh, my God. This is horrible. All right. Waking nightmare. We have an interesting question this week. Uh, I... It's it's a question that I'm not sure there's an answer to, so maybe it's right for the philosophical gamer. It's almost a philosophical point. Uh, it's from Todd Chavez, again, who uh, just uh, did a small question a couple weeks ago. As someone who seems incapable of, existing, uh, of exiting the acquisition space, uh, how, does one, how long do you think one should keep a game that is in shrink and has failed to hit the table? Do you find it funny that people who seek out engine and resource optimization games as a hobby seem to fail at exactly that when gathering board games as a resource? <laughs> uh, heavy collectors like myself, and maybe like some of you, uh, acquire way more games than we can possibly get through. So how do we navigate this? What do you, what do you, guys, what, what do you guys think? I mean, listen, I, I'm the one who has the, 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 the big collection, so I understand that, that it's not exactly your space. But you guys have been, you know, you, you guys have seen Maddie and me. You've seen our collections rise and fall. And, and, and I'm sure, you, you, Dimitri, you collect books. And I collect books. I collect uh, Netskis. Uh, I collect CDs. I collect DVDs. Sure. So, so what, what do you think? You collect CDs? That's hilarious. Well, I have a, a whole, not anymore, of course, but I, I have a oh, huge okay. collection of CDs. Now, an unplayed game, for somebody that collects them like, like I do, like Matt does, we don't collect games to collect games. Sure. We don't collect games to raise their value and sell them. We, sure. We collect games to play them, and an unplayed game, by that definition, is a wasted resource. So how long 
would you say just just what's your gut? How long would you would you keep a game that is in shrink that is unplayed before you realize you know what I either have to play it or get rid of it? Three months. Good. Okay. Good. That that's that's harsh, by the way. I, I, I think it's harsh too. I think it's <laughs> at least a year. I think it's at least a year before you give up on it. But I'm going to deal with that question by unasking it. Uh-oh. Uh oh. As a <laughs> By unasking it. Okay. Go, okay. Dimitri. So am I going to beat up myself because I have an unread book in my collection? Uh, am I going to beat myself up because I'm going to pay for a movie that I didn't enjoy or go to uh, a play or a musical that I didn't enjoy? Mm. No. In fact, um, and, and I wrote this down because I want to get this right. Great. In a free market democracy, to be a fan is the equivalent of being a patron. Oh. And the reason I say I'm not a fan of games, is board games, is not because I don't play them or don't enjoy them or don't have opinions about them. Obviously, I do. I'm not a fan of board games because I don't buy them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you consider yourself a fan, you have to, have to, have to spend money. Because by spending money, you make sure that more games are produced. Uh, my favorite writer is Gene Wolfe. He passed uh, early la- uh, late think. last year. Yeah. Uh, I started reading him as a 15-year-old kid. Uh, he went from having editions of 3,000 copies uh, being issued to being issued in editions of 30,000 copies. As I was buying his books, he was able to quit his job uh, and write full time. Uh, was I the reason? Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. Yes, you were. He said, I, he said on his deathbed, he said, thank God for Dimitri Bornoy. Well, actually, when I got a whole bunch of his books signed, The Dangerous Visions, in the 90s, he thanked me. And the reason he thanked me is because he understands that me... And what, 10,000 other Dimitris, which is not a lot, is what made him be able to write full time. Or he and, discovered that saying piss off after he signed your, your, your book just didn't yield the results he was looking for in the past. Yeah. yeah well, okay. <laughs> Actually, he did say piss off. I'm just making this whole thing up. No, but. Uh, I have a responsibility. If I don't buy a ticket to a Tarkovsky movie, it's, they're not going to have another screening. If, if I don't buy, uh, if I don't find some way to pay for my favorite artist's music, they're, they're not going to be released. And for me, the biggest sin, the biggest sin as a content producer myself, but even more importantly, a content consumer. Mm. I am a consumer of culture. I want more culture. Sure. Right. I have to pay for that. Done. Because $5 a month to me and $5 a month to Matt, and you help us build our board game collection. Done, Dimitri. Done. You can become a board game fan. It's so cheap and so easy. (laughs) (laughs) The Scientology board game. Club, Jake. What, Jake? What, you said three months. Yeah, maybe that was harsh. But I'll be honest. If I have, 
I mean, I don't collect games. I do. I do buy books still, like a real person, and not on the the tablet or whatever. And I, if it has a place on my shelf, it probably will never leave. If I even liked it mm. a little, I can only think of a few books that I was like, yeah, this this. Not if you're not playing it, uh, three months feels like a while. You know what I mean? I mean, it, yeah. it just it felt like a while. Yeah, but you know, three. That's twelve gaming sessions. And for a game not to I be guess. able to make it out in 12 gaming sessions is not that uncommon. Listen, I don't even know. I what suppose my... that's true. And you have so many. I mean, I don't know what my collection is up to a... right now. Actually, I don't know what my total is. I, I think I, I can't be more than 400. So it's really not that big in comparison to a lot of people. Every fan is a patron. Mm. Uh, and, because... and some people, I'm sure, never throw away their games, even if they hate them. They're just like, well, I have it. I don't play it, but I have it. Uh, yeah. Don't beat yourself up for making the wrong decision. Even a wrong decision supports the hobby. Even a wrong decision supports game designers and game publishers. This is an extremely difficult time. Uh, we had the music industry basically be destroyed. Yeah. Uh, and we don't want the same thing to happen to publishing. And we but let's face it, they stopped making good music, so it's not really that big of a loss. They stopped making good music with Guno, okay? They stopped making good... <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, I think Mozart and his innovative, silly melodies, yes. and, you, you know. All right, you guys have, you guys have gone all, all uh, we have, we as, have, aspirational. Have. I'm going to get practical here, off. okay? Here's the practical answer for you, okay? The practical answer is this. Uh, first of all, how do I organize my games to begin with? I organize them by player count, by max player count. I think that is the way to organize your games. So this is the section for two-player maximum games, three-player maximum games, four-player, five-player, six-player, because... When we're looking for games, like how many do we have is the first question. And then we go and we look in, in that section. I think that's the best way to organize games. But I have a secondary organizational system that I'm going to share with you right now. I went to Staples and I got these little um, clear tabs of various colors. They're the things that you put inside a notebook to indicate where to, to flip the notebook to get to the section on organic chemistry or whatever, right? It's for students and, and stuff like that. They're those little, little tabs. I put a tab on every single game in my collection, and the color coding is thus. If I've played it recently, it gets the red tab. If I've played it within the last within the last three months, it gets an orange tab. If it's six months, a yellow tab, one year, green tab, and so on and so forth. Roy G. Biv, the farther toward ultraviolet, the farther it's been since I've played the game, including never played the game. And it, periodically, I will go through the collection and I will look at those games that have that have those purples, uh, those those purple and blues, and say, "Why haven't I played this game? Am I going to make it a point to find a time to play this game, or is it something that I should should rethink?" So, uh, and, and and then once a game gets pl- doesn't get played for a couple of years, it becomes invisible because it's in a completely ultraviolet spectrum, <laughs> so you can't ever wow. play it, right? Uh, that's okay. my suggestion to you. I'm trying to be helpful. <laughs> I'm trying to be helpful. I can't. I can't with you guys. But Thank I'm you for sending in the that question. Is, it is an excellent yeah, question. Thank you for the question. question. That's what I do. I, I, my, 
my games all have a letter and some of them have a scarlet letter. And when I look at them and I pass them over, uh, that is one step further toward me separating myself from them and being able to let them go, which I do from time to time. There you go. Uh, Tom, I, I, I have some takeout from the Cheesecake Factory that I got uh, a couple of days ago. Oh. And I'm going to go oh downstairs. God. I'm going to go downstairs and bring it in so we can have lunch in celebration of recording this episode. Lovely, Dimitri. Thank you so much. Amazing. Dimitri and Jake, I love you guys so much. I miss you guys very, very much. I love you much. guys too. It's I, so great. I want to, I, I want to, I want this to, I want to wave a magic wand, rid this country oh, of disease and just be able to actually It'll magically out. go away in its own time. Haven't you been listening? Yeah. Uh, oh not, my God. Not, not sure that's how things It work. is so nice to hear both your voices. This is a, uh, this is something that I really, truly enjoy. I'm glad. And I'm glad you got this after a bad week. I'm sorry to hear that you had a bad week, but uh, yeah. I appreciate it. it well, it's soon. a new day. Yes. Uh, you guys can find us on a YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash C forward slash Game Brain Pod. We have a Facebook group that is getting hotter by the minute, a Discord channel that also gets a lot of activity. And please do get in those Board Game Sommelier questions because we are down to the bottom of the barrel. And you've been listening to Game Brain, produced and edited by Matthew Robinson and Tom Donnelly. Special thanks to Daedalus, not just for our regular incredible music, but our amazing new Games on the Brain theme. Thank you, Alfred. More on Daedalus at GameBrainPod.com, and you can reach us by email at contact at GameBrainPod.com. That's where to send those sommelier requests. Or on Twitter at GameBrain underscore pod. Thanks for listening, and go play some games with friends online, or virtually make some friends with games.